Oh, it's great to, to, to get together, isn't it? And it's great to have a chance to, to be able to praise God and to, to worship uh, God together. Um, how many of you have a some kind of um, social media account? You know, whether that's Facebook or Twitter or Instagram, the kind of list just goes on and on and on. You know, back in the day, it was MySpace and different things, wasn't it? But people don't really use that anymore. You know, well, I, I'm not much of a user when it comes to, to social media. Um, I, I just about managed to have a Facebook account. But if you ever go on it, you'll see that it isn't really used. So, uh, But it is there. And um, so I kind of have an idea in terms of, of social media. But, you know, one of the things that I do see when you're on Facebook, and maybe it's the same on some of the others as well, maybe you've picked up on it, is um, that one of the trends that there seems to be with social media is that people seem to look for these kind of quotable phrases, these kind of little snappy phrases, and even better, if they can, they'll stick an image behind it. That's when you've made it. If you can put a quotable phrase with an image behind it, you've made it. That seems to be kind of what, what social media is, um, is used for, for the most part these days. You know, But, but quotable phrases are nothing new. Um, in fact, if we, we look back, I've got a few old school quotable phrases from people of the past. Here's Henry David Thoreau. He said, they said, success usually comes to those who are too busy to be looking for it. I like that. There's another one, Winston Churchill. We make a living by what we get, but we make a life by what we give. That's good, isn't it? Who's going to stick that on Facebook later with a graphic <laughs> behind it? You know, here's another one. Great minds discuss ideas. Average minds discuss events. Small minds discuss people. Eleanor Roosevelt. Bit more challenging that one, isn't it? And then the last one by C.S. Lewis. He says this. Everyone says forgiveness is a lovely idea until they have something to forgive. That's so true, isn't it? You know, we all see the value of forgiveness. And how important it is to, to be able to live at peace with one another. But actually, when it comes to us, forgiveness is not really that easy of a thing, is it? You know, I imagine we've all had had those times. Maybe you've had one of those times. I've certainly had one of those times when, when someone has, has hurt us and they've upset us and they've not apologized and we've not talked to them and nothing's been dealt with. And then out of the blue, on our phone, it pops us that they're ringing us. What do we do? Do I answer the phone? I don't know what to say to them. What are they going to say to me? And we kind of end up in this wrestle as to, to what we're going to do until eventually the phone rings out and it goes to voicemail. Or maybe you've had one of those moments when you're, you're in Asda and you see someone a couple of aisles away and you just think, oh my goodness, I hope they don't turn around and see me. Because, you know, you just don't know how you deal with it. You don't know how you'd react. You don't know how you could face them and what it is that you'd say to them. I see so you just kind of turn up the next aisle and, and hope that you kind of manage to miss each other for the rest of the shot. And, and you know it's not right to avoid talking to them. You know it's, it's not, not really the, the, the best thing. You know it's not what you really want to do, but you just don't know how to move forwards or to do anything different. And it might be that you've been, been hurt by a specific event. Something that, that happened Maybe recently, maybe a long time ago, someone that, that did something that, that caused a deep wound within you that you've just never been able to let go of. And it stuck with you. And while forgiveness might seem like a lovely idea, you just don't know how you could even begin. You know, often actually though, for, for most of us, it's not even really about the big events. A lot of our hurts and, and a lot of the, the things that we, we struggle with, a lot of the things that we, we face that cause resentment towards people within us are small things, aren't they? 
You know, it's the things that happen day to day that just kind of wear us down and pile up on us. People's thoughtlessness. The, the, the kind of, that little look that you, 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 you spotted. And then you begin to read into. That selfish attitude, that comment that was made, that time when you were left out. And on that, oh, none of these things would are that big a deal, but they just kind of build one on another. It's not like one great big deep wound, but it's like a constant scratch over the same place again and again and again that just wears you down. Until it begins to affect the way that we see that person or that group of people or that thing. And so I think we probably all get really down in our hearts. We get what C.S. Lewis means when he says that forgiveness is a lovely idea until you're the one with something or someone to forgive. And so this morning, as we continue in our series, Jesus in Focus, I want to take some time to focus in on Jesus and what he has to say about forgiveness. And and we want to take some time to to bring Jesus into focus and to bring his view of forgiveness into focus. And and as we talk about forgiveness, for some of you this might be hard. And I get that. And we need to be honest about that. And you need to be honest about that with yourself. You know, as painful as it might be, specific things or specific people, specific events or times might come to mind for you. And as painful as that is, my encouragement to you this morning is not to pull back from that. It is not to try and, and, and pretend it's not there and just kind of close it down and, and, and squash it away because you, you, you kind of want to just, you don't want to go there. It's not to, to pretend, you know, it's, it's, I don't need to deal with this, but I know someone else, that's really important for them to hear. But instead, to use this as a moment, and as those things come to mind, my encouragement to you is, as each thing comes to mind, to just say a quick little prayer and just invite God into that moment. Invite God into that pain. Invite God into that wound. So that he can begin to help you to heal. And so that he can help you to see clearly what it is that he has for you and how you can begin to move forwards. And you know, we're in good company when it comes to this wrestle with forgiveness. In in fact, one of Jesus' closest followers, Peter, he struggled with it. You know, there was a time when when Jesus was teaching about uh, what it is that we're to do when someone offends you. And, and how when one person has offended another person, how we should go and talk to them. And he gives these instructions as to how it's meant to be, to be kind of handled to work things out. And we don't know the details, but I, I think that as Peter stood there and as he listened to Jesus and he heard what he was teaching and he heard what he was saying, it must have reminded him of something on and on in his own heart. Something that had happened, something or someone who had done something. And it seems that there was someone who had offended Peter, not just once, but had kind of repeatedly again and again and again been one of these people who just scratches continuously and wears you down. 
And so as Peter's listening to, to Jesus, he, he, he's kind of wrestling with it and he's thinking, okay, I get what you're saying, Jesus, I've heard it, but, but what do I do with my situation? How does this work for me with what it is that, that I'm facing? And so he kind of pulls Jesus to one side after Jesus finishes teaching and says, Jesus, look, I've got this question for you. This is what I need to, to know. And in Matthew 18, verse 21, we, we read Peter's question. He says to Jesus, Lord, How many times shall I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me? Up to seven times? I mean, where do I get to draw the line? How much is enough? How many times do I have to forgive a person who just keeps on hurting me? Up to seven times? And, and I think Peter probably thought he was being really generous here. Because you see, in the Jewish law, the law was that you were only required to forgive somebody three times. And, and so Peter, he's taken the Jewish law and he's doubled it and he's added one on for good measure. And he's come to Jesus saying, come on, I'm your follower. I know we bar's been raised. I know it means more for us now. But seven times, is that enough? And he's thinking Jesus is going to give him this pat on the back because he's set the bar so high. But before we even look at how Jesus answers, I think the question that Peter asks reveals something to us of the way that he thinks about forgiveness. And and as I go through life and as I face different things and I talk with different people, I think many of us have probably, whether we put it in these words or not, whether we realize it or not, have thought about forgiveness in the same way that Peter does. Because Peter's assumption was this. Peter's assumption was that forgiveness is something that we do for the benefit of the person who's offended us. That forgiveness is is something nice that we do for the person who has hurt us. And so Peter is saying, hey, I'll be a nice guy. I'll be the one who who takes the initiative. I'll be the one who reaches out. I'll be the one who who tries to make amends and and cause us to be able to have a relationship again. I'll be the one who bends and who gives. I'll forgive them seven times. But at one point, I've got to finally be able to draw a line and say, enough is enough. I'm done. I can't do this anymore. I can't give anymore. Because he was convinced, as often as I think when we're hurt, we can be too, that forgiveness is something that we do for the person who has hurt us. And, and here's why we think that. And here's how we begin, you know, that you might begin to realize that that's how often we can think. When you're hurt and, and you're offended or you're upset, there's always a sense that the person who hurt you owes you something. You know, whenever you're hurt or you've been insulted or, or there's, a, there's a sense that out of that the person owes you something, that they've created a, a debt in your relationship. And that sounds strange, but it's because we think like that that we use phrases where we say things like, you owe me an apology. We have this sense that the person has caused this debt which they need to do something about. And actually, this goes beyond just being owed an apology. It might be that you've had a situation at work where your boss has disrespected you. And you've been feeling disrespected and you come off of the back of that and you feel like your boss owes you respect. 
He owes you maybe recognition because he's not been recognizing the work that you've been putting in. Maybe you've had a, a, a your wife or your children or your parents and you feel like they owe you respect. Maybe your husband you feel owes it to you to be more sensitive and to be more caring. When someone does something or fails to do something or treats us in a way that leads to us being hurt, that leads to us having carrying this wound, we are left feeling like they owe us something. And so what do we do? We do what Peter did. And we hold on to this sense of what it is that we're owed. And how it is that we've been wronged. And internally, we, we justify ourselves. And, and we build our case as to, to how awful they are and how much of a victim we are. As we hold on and we wait for this time when they'll take the initiative. And they'll come and they will say to us, I'm sorry. I owe you an apology. Let me make recompense for what it is that I did. And we feel justified in, in holding them to account because we're the victims. And so we're left waiting for them to make the first move. To come and say that they're sorry. To pay back the debt that they owe us. And as we wait, we're forced to try and handle how we're really feeling inside. And we handle that in different ways. Some of us, maybe we, we kind of squash it and we try and shove it down and pretend it's not there. For some of us, maybe we, we want to vent about it. And so it comes up in every conversation that we have. You only have to talk to somebody for five minutes before they're talking about this thing that happened or this thing that somebody did. Or for some of us, we, we irrationally lash out at people and we hurt people. Nothing to do with what they've done, but because there's this anger inside which we just can't contain. You know, we all have different tactics and different ways that we, we handle it when we're trying to contain and, and hold on and carry that hurt. But whatever it is that we do, we feel like we're the victim and we feel like they owe us. Why should I have to forgive? Why should I have to, to, to be the, the one who, who reaches out? Why should I have to be the one who, who does something When they're the one who owes me an apology. And so like Peter, we wrestle with this and we say, where is it that I can draw the line? How much is enough? When is it that I can say, I'm done. You've hurt me. I can't do this anymore. I think that's kind of where Peter was as he asked Jesus this question. And I think Jesus gets it. He understands and so he gives Peter this, he starts with this kind of cryptic answer and then he tells this story in the way that only Jesus can do. He has the most incredible stories that you start off wondering, what on earth has this got to do with a question? And by the end of it, he's hit you between the eyes. Why don't we read it together? It's in Matthew 18. It should pop up on the screen behind me too. This is what it says. Then Peter came to Jesus and asked, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me? Up to seven times? Jesus answered, I tell you not seven times, but 77 times. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. As he began the settlement, a man owed him 10,000 talents. 
A man who owed him 10,000 talents was brought to him. Now, in the footnote of my Bible, it's great having little footnotes that explain things like talents because it means nothing to us, does it? So in the footnote of my Bible, it said that a talent was worth about 20 years of a day laborer's wages. This is 10,000 talents. So if you try and put that in our kind of context, if we say minimum wage is about, I mean, it depends on how old you are, but if we say minimum wage is about 15,000 pounds, give us a nice round number to work with. That means that this guy owed the king about 3 billion pounds. This is a, a sum of money which is just ridiculous. This is a sum of money that he's got no chance that he could ever be able to pay back. It goes on, since he was not able to pay, the master ordered that he and his wife and his children and all that he had be sold to repay the debt. At this, the servant fell on his knees before him. Be patient with me, he begged. Give me more time and I will pay back everything. That's ridiculous, isn't it? Imagine the people there with Jesus just kind of sniggering and laughing at how stupid he is because it doesn't matter how much time he had, he was never going to be able to to pay it back. But the servant's master took pity on him, cancelled the debt and let him go. And this is one of the the key phrases in the story. He cancelled the debt that was owed him and he set him free. But Jesus doesn't stop there. He goes on and he says, but when the servant went out, He found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. And again, let's put that in context. One denarii is about a day's wages for a laborer. So again, put that into minimum wage. Try and multiply that up for a hundred days wages. And we're talking somewhere in the region of between about five to six thousand pounds. So it's a decent chunk of money, but it's not an impossible chunk of money. This is something that is very possible to be able to, to pay back. And this is what the servant does to the man who owed him the money. He grabbed him and began to choke him. Pay back what you owe me, he demanded. His fellow servant fell to his knees and begged him, be patient with me and I will pay it back. He says just the same thing that the first servant had said. And you'd think those words would ring in his ears and remind him of what had already been done for him, of the debt which he'd been let off of. But he refused. Instead, he went off and had the man thrown into prison until he could pay the debt. When the other servants saw what had happened, they were outraged and went and told their master everything that had happened. And we get that, don't we? We get the the sense of outrage that the the, the guy who'd been forgiven so much would be so hard-hearted and refuse to forgive the guy who owed him in comparison so little. But Jesus goes on and says, Then the master called the servant in. You wicked servant, he said. I cancelled all that debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? In anger, his master handed him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back all he owed. And then Jesus wraps the story up saying, This is how my heavenly father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother or sister from your heart. And that's hard to hear, isn't it? From the one who we talk about so often being love, that's hard to hear. I'm the injured party. I'm the one who's been hurt. They owe me. How can you say that, Jesus? And I think at this point it would have hit Peter. Right between the eyes, what Jesus was getting at. 
That God is the king in the story and that he's actually the wicked servant. Who's been forgiven so much. And now here he is making this great big case over forgiving some guy who's been upsetting him and hurting him and offending him. And he's having to go on forgiving him when really in comparison it's such a small thing. And so Jesus, he wraps up the stories by saying, if you refuse to forgive someone, you are the one who will be tormented and tortured. When you refuse to forgive someone, you are the one who suffers. And I don't think that Jesus is, this is Jesus saying that God's going to go out of his way to cause harm to you. I think what Jesus is saying is that in the same way that the king handed the servant over to the jailers, that in that moment as we refuse to forgive, God hands us over to the jailers, to the prison of anger and bitterness. While the other person is able to just go about their life completely unaffected. By how we feel. And I, I know for, for some of you this is hard to hear. That you've been hurt in, in horrific ways. And that maybe not even as a one-off but again and again. And, and if you came up here and you shared your story as to what it is that's happened. You would have us all sat here saying you have every reason to be angry. You were justified to be angry. I can't believe that you went through that. It was wrong. And yet Jesus says, you've got to forgive. And here's why he says that. The primary reason why Jesus asks this of us is because he knows that when we refuse to forgive, what we're really doing is pushing the self-destruct button on our own lives. To hold on to, to anger, to hold on to bitterness or resentment is to chain yourself to that past hurt and to drag it with you into relationship after relationship after relationship. Back in October 2006, there was a, um, an American guy called Charles Roberts who walked into a, a small Amish community and he walked into a schoolroom and he started shooting children. Uh, and he, he killed four little girls and he injured multiple other children and then at the end of it all he turned the gun on himself and he killed himself. And we can only vaguely begin to imagine the kind of agony the kind of grief that this must have caused within the Amish community. As these children were killed. But the most amazing thing happened in the days that followed the shooting. That, that the news and the media, they just couldn't begin to, to explain or get their heads around or know what to do with. They didn't know if this Amish community was crazy or if they'd got hold of something and had some power that they just knew nothing about. And the reason for that is that in this small Amish community, they came out and they said that in the power of Jesus, we choose to forgive Charles Roberts. But not only did they say it, but they put that forgiveness into action. 
in what they did. And so you can you kind of picture the, the, the time and the scene and what it must have been going on in the town as, as, as they had funeral after funeral after funeral. And, and the, the agony and the grief that just must have surrounded the community. And then something strange happened. It came to the time of the funeral for Charles Roberts. And, and everybody expected that, that nobody would go, that it would be empty, that why would people be there? But it wasn't. His funeral was filled with supporters from that same Amish community. The parents who had lost the children to Charles Roberts' actions went to his funeral to support the family of Charles Roberts. And they filled that building in support of that family as an act of their forgiveness. And as this community came together to, to support these parents and, and the, the brothers and the sisters and Charles Roberts' own children, they, they went a step further. And they recognized that these guys were hurting too, and so they, they set up financial relief for them, to care for them. And then they did what the news media thought was just bonkers, and they set up a scholarship fund to be able to pay for Charles Roberts' children's education. Because they recognized that they no longer had a dad in their lives, and they wanted to take care of them. And when they were asked about it, they said that we have to move on. And the way that we move on is to forgive. And if we don't forgive, and this is the key bit that they got, if we don't forgive, we're the losers in this. We're the losers. We're the ones who will pay the price. And I think this is one of the most important things that we have to begin to understand about forgiveness. Forgiveness is less something that we do for the person who has hurt us. And it's more something that we do for ourselves. When we forgive, we're the ones who really benefit. When someone hurts us and we we hang on to our hurts and we, we don't forgive, we're the losers. We're the ones who lose joy and peace and contentment in life as we're handed over to the jailers to be tormented day after day with the thoughts and the memories and the hurts and the pain. And so as hard as it can be to hear, one of the key reasons that that Jesus says, you must forgive It's because your heavenly Father who knows your pain, who was with you in the moment when it happened, who understands better than anyone what it is that you're facing and the wounds that are there, says, because I love you, because I want what's best for you, because I care about you, I know that to refuse to to let go of that anger is to push the self-destruct button and say, you must forgive or you'll be the one who pays the price. Jesus says, I understand your pain, but if you don't let go your past and your hurts, they'll be the things that have happened in your life that will continue to to follow you around. 
And they'll cause pain in your relationships in the present. They'll cause fear and anxiety. They'll cause you to pull away from people and to withdraw to try and protect yourself. They'll, they'll cause you to lash out of people because of the anger that you feel, which is just kind of bubbling away underneath. The hurt that you hold on to will cause you to self-destruct. And so Jesus says, I understand your pain, but for your own benefit, you need to let go and forgive. You know, when we forgive, it isn't that we're saying that what that person did doesn't matter. It does. It's not that we're saying that what that did, person did was okay. It wasn't. It's not that we're pretending that, that what they did never, never happened and that everything can just go back to the way that it was before because it can't. Trust has been broken and trust takes time to be rebuilt. When we forgive, we are cancelling the debt. We're saying, you don't owe me anymore. I'm going to let this hurt go. When we forgive, we let go of the idea of, of revenge. We let go of, release that person from our judgment and we put them into God's hands, leaving justice with him. And it's in that moment as we do that, that actually the person who has hurt us stops having power over us. In that moment that that person stops having control over us. Control over our emotions and our reactions. And that we're finally free and able to move on. And that's why Jesus says, as hard as it is, you need to forgive There is no limit. There is no line to be drawn. You simply need to forgive. And when that seems not just hard but impossible, because there's times when it does, when we don't even know how to begin or where to begin, Jesus says, don't be like the wicked servant who forgets what he's been forgiven, but remember what it is that I've done for you. Remember how you've been forgiven. Because naturally on our own, when we lose sight of that, we will face things where we just don't know how to forgive. We don't know how we could possibly do that, how we can move forwards. And in those moments when we're feeling like that, when it all seems impossible, when we're asking that question, how could I forgive? I don't know how I can do it. In those moments, what Jesus invites us to do is to bring him into focus. To remind ourselves of all that he has done for us. And to to ask God to help us and to enable us by the power of his spirit to be able to forgive that person. To be able to respond like Jesus responds to us. You know, Jesus was sinned against. He was mocked and rejected. He was betrayed by friends. He was beaten and he was tortured. And as he's flogged and as he's beaten, as he's crucified and nailed to the cross, he looks to the man to the side of him. A thief who's done nothing to deserve it. And he looks at him and he says, I forgive you. And then as he looks out at the crowd, 
He's been humiliated and he's been shamed, he's been stripped naked and he's been beaten by the people that he made, by his own creation. People that he loved, people that he'd come to heal and to bring hope to. You know, if there was ever a a, a situation, if there was ever a person, if there was ever a time when someone had every reason for bitterness and resentment and holding on to that anger, this would be it. But Jesus looks out at this crowd and he says, Father, forgive them. And in the midst of all of this, and I was struck by this as I was getting ready for today, in the midst of all of this, we read about how he was offered um, on a sponge on a stick wine vinegar to drink. And and sometimes we can think, oh, at least there was a moment of mercy and compassion in the the midst of all of this horrendous things that Jesus went through. But you know, in, in Roman times... When wealthy people went to an ancient public restroom to go to the toilet, they would be cleaned as they sat on the toilet by slaves. And the slaves would use a long stick with a sponge on the end to wash them. And what happened is that people began to get infected as they washed people. And so they realized they needed to do something about it. And so they started to dip the sponge into wine vinegar as an antiseptic to kill the germs and the bacteria. And this sponge on a stick then is the kind of thing that Roman soldiers would carry with them when they went out in groups so that when they went to the toilet, they had something that they could clean themselves so they didn't get infected so that they were able to be battle ready. And so as Jesus is saying, Father, forgive them, this sponge is shoved in his mouth. With those words on his lips. And yet he still looks out and he says, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they do. That's our Jesus. And the truth is, as much as we hate it and as much as we don't like to go there, that we're as much the ones who are responsible for Jesus going through that. We're as much the ones who shoved that sponge in his mouth. We're as much the ones who nailed him to that cross. And yet Jesus says to each and every one of us, Father, forgive them. Forgive them. They don't know what they do. When Jesus died in your place and in my place, he knew He already knew in that time so many years ago about every different thing that we would do in our lives. He knew the the hurtful words that we would speak. He knew the, the, the times when we would make selfish choices. He knew every wrong thing that you would do and that I would do. And he decided, despite all of that, in light of all of that, with that knowledge upon him, to still make a way for you and I to be forgiven. And in order to cancel your debt, in order to, to be able to, to get to that place where you and I no longer owed him what we could never be able to pay. In order to be able to offer you forgiveness, he died in your place and in my place. For your sins and for my sins. There is nothing that you have done, no matter how big or small, there is nothing that you have failed to do 
There's no amount of times that you can do something wrong and have messed up that causes Jesus to draw a line and say, that's it, I've had enough. No more. Jesus makes a forgiveness available to all of us. All the time. And so what Jesus is saying is, don't forget the mercy that you've been shown. The forgiveness that you've been forgiven. Instead, in light of that, in light of the forgiveness that you've received, in light of the mercy that you've been shown, show forgiveness to others. Not because they deserve it, because they might not. Not because they've said that they're sorry, because they may never do. Not because they've even admitted they've even done something wrong. Because they might feel fully justified. Don't forgive them for their sake or for their benefit, but for your own sake. Because forgiveness is less something that we do for the benefit of the person who's hurt us, as it is something that we do for ourselves. It allows you and I to cut the chains to the past and the hurt and the wounds that otherwise will become our jailer. That otherwise will torment us and impact on us for the rest of our lives. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to have a time of, of communion together. A time to bring Jesus into focus. A time to remember what it is that he's done for us. His incredible sacrifice that he made for us so that we could be forgiven. To remember his love and his mercy and his forgiveness in our lives. And as we do that, I want you to encourage you just to open your heart afresh to the wonder of all that God has done for you. To the wonder of his forgiveness and his mercy in your life. And if you're here this morning and you've not given your life to Jesus, then this is a great opportunity to do that. To say, Jesus, as much as I've been hurt by other people, I know that I've made mistakes, I know that I've hurt people, I know that I've rejected you and I've gone my own way and I've done things my way, I know that I've sinned. Thank you that despite that, you never drew a line, you never cut me off, despite that, you loved me enough to die in my place so that I could be forgiven. I say, I give my life to you today and I receive your forgiveness. And as each one of us celebrates the fact that Jesus has forgiven us, I want to encourage you to to ask him to help you to forgive others. And this is hard. It might be painful. It's not something that you need to try and do on your own. So ask him to fill you with his spirit for for you to know that he's with you and for him to equip you and help you and enable you. To ask him to help to identify the hurts that you've been carrying and holding on to and the people that you need to forgive. It might even be that you need to forgive God. And we get uncomfortable about that and we don't like that and we talk in that and how can that be right because God's never done anything wrong. He doesn't owe us anything. But remember, forgiveness is less something we do for the person who has hurt us as it is something that we do for ourselves. It's a process of us cancelling a debt. 
It's identifying the way that you feel let down. The way that you feel hurt. The way that you feel owed. And then making the choice to cancel that debt. To let go of that sense of what you deserve. Not for the benefit of the person that you're forgiving, but so that you are set free from that chain of bitterness and anger and resentment and hurt and able to step into something more of the freedom and the life that God has for you. So as we come to communion, to help you to do that, as you come and you, you, you and this communion is open to anyone here today who, who would say that they love Jesus and have, have accepted him as Lord and receive his sacrifice for them. So if that's you, then you are welcome. And as we come into communion today and you collect the bread and the juice, I've got some paper at the different ends of the stage. And what I want to encourage you to do is to take a piece of paper back to your seat with you after you've collected the, the bread and the cup and just to take some time with God and to pray and ask God to, to bring anybody or anything to mind. And for some of you, that might be very quick and easy. And for some of you, it might be a harder process. But as he does, then write down on that piece of paper the name of the person or the group. Write down what it is that they've done and be specific about it. And then if you're able, make a decision to cancel that debt. Because it's a decision, it's a choice. You're not necessarily going to feel like it. We very rarely feel like it. To make the decision to cancel that debt. And as you make that decision, as a sign that you've done that, rip that piece of paper into. As a declaration that you have cancelled that debt. You're no longer holding it against them. You're no longer holding onto it. And you're not going to take it up again. And it might be that as you come and you write down that name that you don't feel able to do that. And if that's the case, then I encourage you to take that piece of paper home and just to, 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 to pray and to do business with God and to keep it there as a reminder to you. And every time you, you do to, 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 to focus yourself again on Jesus, to bring Jesus into focus and his sacrifice and what he's done for you and to, to thank him for it. To ask him to fill you with his spirit until you get to that point where you're able to make that decision and say, I'm ripping this in two. I'm cancelling this debt.